Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel 17. We started our series on the life of David, actually, Sunday. So if you missed Sunday, you might want to listen to the podcast to catch up, because uh, we're going to do, obviously, something different on Sunday, starting this Sunday. But I I wanted to do it on Sunday, because I thought maybe I could get a few more people from Sunday to come over on Tuesday. So... Anyway, 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you weren't here Sunday, just quickly, God called David to be the future king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16. And one of the things then we learn of having chapter 16 butted up against chapter 17 is after calling comes conflict. Something important to remember. When God calls us to something, there's usually conflict, (laughs) Not too far down the road. There's a challenge to that calling. And we see that here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, why did God choose David and reject Saul as the king of Israel? Well, we're going to find out in chapter 17 tonight. It was because David was at a point in his life where he was strong enough in the Lord that he was willing to fight the Lord's battles. Saul, at one time as the king of Israel, was willing to fight the Lord's battles. But when Saul uh, turned his back on God and started walking away from God, Saul became weak. And when he became weak, he he stopped fighting the Lord's battles. David, as we're going to see tonight, was willing to fight the Lord's battles. And you and I, what he's wanting from us is that we will allow him to strengthen us so that we can fight the Lord's battles. And then the other thing is this. Obviously, we're going to be introduced to a giant tonight. And there's probably not a one of us in this room tonight that doesn't have some type of a giant in our life right now that we're dealing with. And one of the things that God wants to encourage us with is that we can never give up fighting that giant. That that giant, through God's power, can fall, but we've got to be willing to fight instead of just throwing up our hands in defeat and becoming so weak in the Lord that we do not continue to fight. With that said, let's dive into 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines gathered their troops for battle. They assembled at Succoth in Judah. They camped in Ephes Damon between Succoth and Azekah. It is about 17, 16 or 17 miles southwest of Jerusalem to give you some kind of geography. Saul and the Israelite army assembled and camped in the valley of Elah where they arranged their battle lines to fight against the Philistines. The Philistines, we don't have time to go into the history of the Philistines and all of that, but let's just say it this way. They were always the enemies of Israel. They were always trying to take the land from Israel that God had promised to the Israelites. They were always a thorn in the side of the Israelites. They worshipped the god Dagon, uh, and they also worshipped the god Asherah. Uh, they all worshiped false gods. They sacrificed their children. They did all kinds of reprehensible stuff. And, uh, God wanted his people to rise up against them. The Philistines, though, were standing on one hill, verse three, and the Israelites on another hill with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the camp of the Philistines. His name was Goliath. He was from Gath. The word champion in verse 4, means he was a great man, but it also reminds us in the Hebrew that he was a mortal man. And that's something to consider. No matter how great Goliath was physically, uh, he was still just 
a man. Although Goliath's name, the name Goliath means splendor. And when you start to see the physical description of this man, uh, yeah, he, he was pretty splendorificous or something like that. Yeah, you can tell I just made that one up. He was also very intimidating, which can I just say that when you and I are battling giants or facing obstacles or challenges in our life, it's going to be intimidating. From a human perspective, looking at things again externally, looking at things just from from a human perspective, it's always going to be intimidating. It's never going to be, oh, that's nothing. No, I mean, that's what makes it a giant in our life is the fact that it's so intimidating. It seems so overwhelming. And so notice the description. He was close to seven feet tall. Uh, some people say anywhere from seven to nine feet tall. Your, your Bible may say closer to nine feet. Some even say nine feet, nine inches. The bottom line is he was big. He was big. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was wearing scale body armor. The weight of his bronze body armor was 5,000 shekels. He had bronze shin guards on his legs and a bronze javelin was slung over his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer was walking before him. And you can imagine that guy had to be pretty big to carry his armor because Goliath was a big, big man. And Goliath stood and called to Israel's troops, literally challenged them is what the word called mean. Why do you come out to prepare for battle? Am I not the Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Now that's interesting. That's, that's very important. Notice when Goliath comes out to begin to challenge the Israelites that he acknowledges them or describes them not as the servants of the Most High God, but as the servants of Saul. Because that's exactly what really is the Israelites have become. They have forsaken God for the most part. And they have become now the servant of a man rather than God. That's why no one is willing in Israel besides David to step up and fight this giant. Because they have become servants of men rather than servants of God. And even the enemies of God can see the difference. He says, choose for yourselves a man so he may come down to me. By the way, very interesting there, the phrase choose for yourselves literally in the Hebrew means devouring or eating. In other words, it's like Goliath says, you know, give me somebody so that I can eat them and devour them. In Goliath's mind, it doesn't matter who Israel sends, Goliath is going to win. He's, he's a great example, Goliath, of someone who trusts only in his flesh, only in his own you know, physical ability, only what he can see, uh, nothing beyond that. And yet, obviously, as big and as intimidating as Goliath is, at the, up to this point in his life, that's all he ever needed to depend on. If he is able to fight with me, Verse 9, and strike me down, we will become your servants, but if I prevail against him and strike him down, you will become our servants and will serve us. And many times in those days, instead of armies coming together and clashing and many people dying, it was actually very, a very common practice for one representative in each army to face each other and the outcome be based on a one-on-one challenge. And so we see that here uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, another key, verse 10. Then the Philistine said, I defy Israel's troops. Five times in chapter 17, the word defy is used. It's a key term. Because in this term, he is taunting, reproaching, and literally blaspheming Israel's troops. But 
more than that, as we know, and as, as David takes it, he wasn't just taunting, blaspheming, and reproaching Israel. He was taunting, reproaching, and blaspheming the God of Israel. And David is the only one in Israel at this point to see through the fact that he's not just defying the people of God. By defying the people of God, in a sense, he's defying God himself. And so the Philistine again says, I defy Israel's troops this day. Give me a man so we can fight each other. Literally deliver up a man so we can fight each other. Again, you see the confidence of Goliath. When Saul and all the Israelites heard these words of the Philistines, they were upset. Literally, they were shattered. They were broken. They were dismayed. They were frozen in fear. And the Bible says they were very afraid. The words in the Hebrew man, that means they were standing in awe of this giant. And it, it shows how when, when even the people of God begin to look at men rather than keep their eyes on God, then you and I begin to stand in awe of men, mortal men, rather than simply standing in awe of God. When you and I are in a place where we are standing in awe of God every day, men will not intimidate us. The things of this world will not intimidate us because we're going to see everything through the lens of Almighty God. And there is nothing greater, bigger than God. And so we all have to keep standing in awe of God. That's why really our own personal worship of God every day is so key. If you and I can live a life of worship where we are standing in awe of God, then everything else sort of finds its place. And all of a sudden, the people and the challenges and the obstacles and the difficulties and the trials and all of, of, of those things don't seem quite as big if God is as big as He should be in our life. The Israelites forgot that. At one time, they stood in awe of God. Now they stand in awe of a man. A big man, but a man nonetheless. Now, David was the son of this Ephrathite named Jesse from Bethlehem in Judah. He had eight sons, and in Saul's day, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The names of the three sons who went to war were Eliab, his first son, Abinadab, the second oldest, and Shammah, the third oldest. Now, David was the youngest, and we remember Sunday that the word youngest in the Hebrew also means insignificant and unimportant. Even in David's family's own mind, he was insignificant, unimportant. We've got to be careful. Do we allow what other people think of us to define our lives or God alone? While the three oldest sons followed Saul, David was going back and forth from Saul in order to care for his father's sheep in Bethlehem. So it was at this point where David was ministering to Saul with the harp. We saw that uh, on Sunday, but then he would go back and he would also, you know, take care of his father's sheep. Meanwhile, verse 16, for 40 days... The Philistine approached every morning and evening and took his position. And basically, every morning and evening, he defied Israel for 40 days, which meant now we're up to 80-some times that he's defied Israel. By the way, I think this is significant. In the Bible, 40 days is a significant time in the Bible. It's usually a time of testing. It was true with Jesus being in the wilderness with uh, Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. And what I see here is simply a time of testing for the nation of Israel. 
as their enemy is standing there, basically defying their God every day, is there anyone in Israel who is willing to stand up against this man and say, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to come in the power of our God. And obviously the logical choice was Saul. He was the, maybe the biggest man in Israel at that point. He wasn't as big as Goliath, but he was certainly well over six feet tall. He was the king. He was the leader of the people. He should have been the one out front saying, I'll take that challenge. But obviously he wasn't. As we're going to see, it was the young he wasn't even 20 yet. David was not even 20 years old yet. The reason we know he wasn't 20 was because you had to be 20 years old to be in the army, in a sense. And we know that David was not part of Saul's army at this point. So he wasn't even 20 years old. He was insignificant. He was unimportant. But he was the only one in Israel who had a walk with God that allowed him to stand up to this giant, Goliath. So, the Bible says... Jesse said to his own son David, verse 17, Take your brothers this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread. Go quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten portions of cheese because they were going to make cheeseburgers so that they could have enough energy to, you know, fight Goliath. Cheese are there commanding us. Find out how your brothers are doing and bring back their pledge that they received the goods. By the way, the word how, or the phrase how they're doing is the Hebrew shalom. And, and shalom to, to a Jew means much more than peace. It, it, it means wholeness. It means prosperity. It means health. It means welfare. It means, it, it's a very well-rounded expression. They are with Saul and the whole Israelite army in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And so obviously, Jesse, he's concerned about his sons. How are they doing? How are they faring? And, and obviously, there's some skirmishes going on between the Philistines and Israel. It's not like there's not any fighting. That somebody's just waiting on somebody to take Goliath's challenge. But for the most part, there's not a lot of fighting going on. So David got up early in the morning, verse 20, and entrusted the flock to someone else who would watch over it. And this is very important because it shows the character of David that even though, you know, his own family was like, oh, you just take care of a few sheep. We learned Sunday that God can take someone from, from guarding a few sheep to the throne of Israel, if that's what God wants. But David thought so much of these few sheep that he was watching that he wanted to make sure he got somebody who would watch it and watch over those sheep and love them and care for them and feed them and nurture them as much as he did. In fact, in the Hebrew, the words watch over it literally means guard as a treasure. David wanted to make sure that he entrusted these sheep to someone who would guard them as a treasure just like he did. And what, I'm getting a little ahead of myself and I'll come back there, but one of the reasons why David... No, in fact, I'll even go a step further. The battle against Goliath was actually won in the fields watching the sheep. That's when David won the battle against Goliath. See, that's what we have to remember. We sometimes, you know, we, we want to, you know, somehow go from this place spiritually to when we're challenged by a giant or some crisis or big trial comes into our life. We want to leap so far ahead and be able to meet that challenge. We can't meet challenges like that as Christians. 
That's why many times the challenges and trials of life run us over. We've got to remember that in those days where we're just going through our own routine of personal worship and devotion and time with God and just doing what God calls us to do, but doing it faithfully like David, that we are preparing ourselves for the day that we face our giant. And that's exactly what David had done all those days we're going to see. The battle against the giant was won when David was in the fields with the sheep. So David got up early and trusted the flock to someone else who would watch over it. And after loading up, he went just as Jesse had instructed him. He arrived at the camp as the army was going out to the battle line, shouting its battle cry. Isn't it interesting that in God's timing, David arrived just at the time that the Philistine giant Goliath was going to come out and defy the armies of Israel once again. After David had entrusted his cargo to the care of the supply officer, verse 22, he ran to the battlefront, literally to the front lines. And when he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were doing. And as he was speaking with them, the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, was coming up from the battle lines of the Philistines. He spoke the way he usually did, and David heard it. By the way, the word heard there in the Hebrew means to listen with attention and interest. It wasn't just like, uh, what's he saying? It's like when David heard this giant challenging the nation of Israel, and the armies of Israel, he listened very carefully, intently, with interest. All the men of Israel saw this man. They retreated. They hid. They disappeared from his presence. And again, they were very much afraid. They were in awe of Goliath rather than being in awe of their God. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? He does so to defy Israel, but the king will make the man who can strike him down very wealthy. Oh, yeah, that's good for Saul, right? Saul doesn't want to go and really fight the battle that's his, but here's what he will do. If there's some, and this is from Saul's perspective or anybody else in Israel's camp's perspective, if there's some nut out there who's willing to go against Goliath, yeah, I'll make him a wealthy man. In fact, I'll even give my daughter in marriage. And here's another thing. I'll, I'll, he won't have to pay taxes for the rest of his life. Because in Saul's mind or anybody else's mind, he's going to die anyway, so doesn't really matter what I offer. And David asked the men in verse 26 who were standing near him, what will be done for the man who strikes down this Philistine and frees Israel from this humiliation? And again, notice how David is viewing this. By using the word humiliation, it means shame or disgrace. David sees this as this, the people of God are allowing this giant, yes, even this giant to defy their God. Isn't there anyone in Israel who's strong enough to stand up to this giant? And David sort of takes a personal offense to this. Because notice he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defies the armies of, not Saul, the armies of the living God. And that's where we see the difference between David and everyone else in Israel's army. Everyone else was there for Saul. But David was there for God. Now, it's very important, too, that the word uncircumcised means trusting in the flesh, and that's exactly what Goliath was doing. Goliath was going to go out, as he always has, and been very successful, obviously, because he's a big man, trusting in his flesh. But notice the reason why David has such confidence here. 
is because David is going to trust not in his flesh, but he's going to trust in the living God. By the way, the word living here means active, sustaining, preserving. David is saying, look, I'm going to be able to do this, but not because of me. It's because of our God. We need Christians today like David who have that boldness and that confidence to step out and allow God to work through them. Again, not because of us, but because of our God. So that, so that He can be magnified. So that others can see how strong He is. In fact, this is why God wanted David to fight this battle. So that God would be seen in Israel and in Philistines, in the, with the Philistines. That He truly is the one true, almighty, and only God. The soldiers told him in verse 27 what had been promised, saying, this is what will be done for the man who can strike him down. Now notice verse 28. And before we get into this, I think I want to say this. Sometimes the greatest obstacles in our life are not the giants themselves. And we're going to see that here with David. David's greatest obstacle wasn't so much the giant Goliath. It was his own family. It was Saul. It was everybody else who didn't believe in what God could do through him. To me, that was his, that he had to shut off listening to those closest to him and just continue to focus on God. If David would have listened to those around him, he would have never stepped out on the battlefield. And we see that with the reaction of his oldest brother Eliab in verse 28. Eliab heard him speaking to the men. He became angry. Literally, he burned. He got hot with David and said, why have you come down here? To whom did you entrust? Notice those few sheep in the desert. Getting a little dig in there. Family members can do that really well, can't they? Because they know, you know, so they're like, oh, I'm going to get that dig in there. You're, you're just watching those few sheep, right? No big deal. I am familiar with your pride and deceit. Really? In fact, he goes on, you've come down here to just watch the battle. In other words, literally what Eliab is saying is, you came down here just to be seen at the battle lines as if, you know, somehow you're going you're, you're gonna to get praise for, you know, being at the battle. Ooh. You're not going to do anything. You, you just want to be seen. David replied, I love this, verse 20, what have I done now? You know, there's sometimes where family members, it's like, you know, I'm just trying to follow the Lord. I'm just doing what the Lord wants me to do. I, you, you may not understand it, you may misinterpret it, what, whatever, but I've got to continue to do what God wants me to do. And, and folks, there's times in our life where maybe our family and friends aren't going to be on board just like they were with David. But if God is clearly leading us to this fight or this battle or down this path, we've got to have the strength to go regardless of what the voices around us are saying. Because ultimately, the voice that we need to follow is the voice of God. And so David says, can I say anything? Then he turned, and this is significant. It's almost like the picture is he turns his back on his brothers. It's almost like a physical, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. I'm going to turn, and I'm going to say to somebody else nearby, and I'm going to ask the same question, and they gave me the same answer as before. 
It's almost like David had to say, well, I'm getting beyond that. I'm not listening to that. Sometimes that's what we have to do. Sometimes we have to get beyond the naysayers in our life. And stop living our life based on what other people think and what other people say and do what God wants us to do. When David's words were overheard and reported to Saul, he called for him. And David said to Saul, I love this, don't let anyone be discouraged. The word means cast down or overcome. For your servant will go down and fight this Philistine. Very interesting that David describes himself as Saul's servant. Which again, remember, David now has been anointed by Samuel to be the future king of Israel. But as we said Sunday, David's going to learn patience and going to learn this is going to come at God's timing, not in mine. I'm not going to take the throne. God's going to give it to me. And also the word servant in, in the Hebrew here means worshiper of God. So David isn't saying, I worship Saul. He's simply saying, Saul, I'm at your disposal. But ultimately, the reason I'm stepping up and I'm taking this step to engage the Philistine giant is because I'm a worshiper of the living God, the God who is active, the God who is sustaining, the God who will preserve me against this giant. Notice Saul. Here's the other obstacle, like his brothers. You aren't able to go against the Philistine and fight him. You don't have the power, the ability, the strength to do it. You're just a boy. And the word boy there just implies that David lacks experience. Well then, Saul, you step up. You know, Saul, you've got the experience. You're the king. You're the leader. You've got all this military experience. But Saul didn't have the internal strength and courage to do what David was willing to do. David replied to Saul, your servant has been a shepherd for his father's flock. And this is such an important passage right here because it reminds us of a great principle. And that is, again, going back to the fact that the battle against Goliath was really won in the fields watching the sheep. Because David did something that you and I need to continue to do in our Christian life. And that is not to live in the past but to always remember God's past working and deliverances in our life to encourage us how we face our giants and obstacles and trials and challenges in the future. And that's exactly what David did. Notice what his response is. Whenever a lion or a bear would come and carry off a sheep from the flock, I would go after it and strike it down and rescue the sheep from its mouth. If it rose up against me, I would grab it by its jaw, strike it and kill it. Your servant has struck down both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David went on to say, and here's the key, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, the self-existing one, who delivered me from the lion and the bear will also deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Folks, don't ever forget that. If God has brought you through battles in life in former times against lions and bears, then when you face your Goliath, you and I have to go back and remind ourselves, if God brought me through that, if God let me get through that, then God will be with me through this. And if God helped me to face that and overcome that, then God will help me to face this. It's exactly what David is saying. He always remembered the things that God did for him in the past to encourage him to keep standing and fighting for the things in the present and the future. And we have to do the very same thing. 
And then he said, Saul then said to David, then go, the Lord will be with you. But here's another important passage. Then Saul clothed David with his own fighting attire and put a bronze helmet on his head. He also put body armor on him. David strapped on his sword over his fighting attire and tried to walk around. There was a willingness in David to try the armor of Saul, but he was not used to them. David said to Saul, I can't walk in these things for I'm not used to them. Literally, I haven't tested them. I haven't proved them. So David removed them, literally separated himself from these. And a couple of important things here. One again is this, Saul is trying to again approach this battle with Goliath in the flesh. Well then, David, if you're willing to do it, we've got to armor you all up in, in, in the military garb. And, and that's the only way you're going to be able to... And David all along was like, it's not going to be in the arm of the flesh. That's why Goliath's coming to me in the arm of the flesh. I'm going to go to, to Goliath in the power of God, in the power of the Spirit of God. That's how I'm going to win it. And so by removing Saul's armor, it's sort of a thing of saying, I'm going to go out there with God and not rely on anything else. But secondly, this is also a reminder that you and I have to fight our own battles the way God made us and how God created us. And we can't fight our battles with somebody else's armor. And yet as Christians, we are very good at trying to convince other Christians to fight their battles with our armor. Don't do it. We each have to learn to go in our own armor, if you will, in order to fight our battles. See, David was a shepherd. And God was going to deliver Goliath into David's hands. And David didn't have to change who he was. You and I, God will never ask you to change who you are or, or make you, you know, make something not fit in your life to win a battle for him. The whole reason He created you the way He did and has given you the experiences and the opportunities and the background and the training and brought you through all that He brought you through was not so then He could totally turn you around and make you something different to face your giants in the future. He wants you to be the same person you are now. Keep relying on what's already been tested and proven in your life, just like David did. David wasn't going to go face the giant Goliath in the armor of Saul. He was going to go face the giant Goliath, as a shepherd boy. And that's what we have to realize as well. So he took his staff in his hand, verse 40, picked out five smooth stones from the stream. Many say, why did he pick out five? Well, I don't know. Maybe he thought, maybe the first one wouldn't kill him. Maybe I'm going to need multiple. Others have speculated that Goliath had four brothers on that hill. And maybe once he killed Goliath, those other four big guys were going to come to, I don't know. We don't know. But he picked out five smooth stones from the stream, placed them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, took his sling in his hand, and approached the Philistine. The Philistine kept coming closer to David with his shield bearer walking in front of him. And when the Philistine looked carefully at David, he despised him. Literally, it means he regarded him with contempt. He was worthless in Goliath's sight. David didn't have anybody who believed in him except God. His family didn't believe in him. Saul didn't believe in him. You're not going to be able to fight that giant. Obviously, the giant didn't believe he could win. Sometimes that's the way it is. He said, you're only a ruddy and handsome boy. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you are coming to me with sticks? Literally a shepherd's staff. 
Then the Philistine cursed David by his God. The Philistine said to David, come here to me so I can give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the field. But David replied to the Philistine, you are coming against me with sword and spear and javelin, with fleshly things, with earthly things. I am coming against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies, whom you have defied. By the way, the word coming against means literally bringing with. In other words, David is saying, uh, you've got all that armor and all those javelins and spears and stuff. I'm coming with God. I'm coming with God. And I'm coming in his name, meaning his reputation, his fame, his glory is on the line. And this very day, David says in verse 46, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I love the word deliver here in the Hebrew. It means to shut or close. In other words, it's almost like David saying, God's going to shut your mouth. You have been up there on that hill for 40 days and 40 nights, twice a day, defying God and defying the people of God. God is finally going to close your mouth. I will strike you down and I'll cut off your head. This day I will give the corpses of the Philistine army to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the land. Then all the land will realize that Israel has a God. That's significant. David said the whole reason I'm here is because God has to be magnified again. God has been lost somewhere. We're looking to men to solve things rather than remembering who our God is. Isn't it sad that in the midst of God's people, there were people who didn't even realize that Israel had a God? Sometimes I wonder that about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do people who don't know God look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and think, is there a God anymore? Because even the people of God don't seem to be magnifying him at all. And all this assembly will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Here's key. For the battle is the Lord's. Hang in there with me for just a couple minutes. We're going to close. That is such a key. You see, God obviously doesn't want us to always be fighting, going to battle. But God does want us to have the courage and strength in him to be willing to go to battle and fight when it's his battles to fight. Because in that, we can take courage that if it's his battle, then like David said, I don't have to worry. He'll, he'll fight it for me. I have to do my part. This is where the cooperation of, of man and God is so cool here because it's like we have our responsibility to have the courage and strength to get out there on the battlefield and use what God has already given us, what's been tested and proved. But ultimately, it's not going to be up to us to win the battle. If it's God's battle that he's calling us to, he will win it, not us. You never have to worry as a Christian that if God's calling you to, to a fight, to a battle, to a challenge, that if you just step up in faith and do it, God will be with you. And he'll see it through. It's his battle, not ours. He will deliver you into our hand. The Philistine drew steadily closer to David to attack him. And while David quickly ran toward the battle line to attack the Philistine, David reached his hand into the bag, took out a stone. He slung it, striking the Philistine on the forehead. I love this word striking in the Hebrew. It means to carve with precision. Again, 
The battle against Goliath was won in the fields with the sheep because David practiced that sling and and slinging stones probably day after day after day. And he became really good. And David could probably, not that they had nickels back then, but he could probably knock a nickel off of a fence a mile away. And so a giant, that's no big deal. But he practiced. His preparation in the fields, watching those few little sheep is what helped him Defeat the giant Goliath. Don't despise those days where you just think, oh, I'm just watching a few sheep. What's the big deal? It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. The stone sank deeply into his forehead. Literally in the Hebrew, the word sank means drowned. Couldn't find it anymore because the power of God was behind that small stone. And he fell down with his face to the ground. David prevailed over the Philistine with just a sling in the stone. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David did not even have a sword in his hand. Again, it's a reminder to us, it wasn't the tools that David had. It wasn't all this military expertise that David had. It was his trust and faith in God that won the battle. Same thing is true for us. And David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grabbed Goliath's sword, drew it from its sheath, killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they ran away. Very interesting contrast. Earlier on in the chapter, the Bible says the Israelite army was afraid, standing in awe. They were hiding and trying to run away and disappear. Now the Philistines are hiding and disappearing. Then the men of Israel and Judah charged forward, shouting a battle cry. They chased the Philistines to the valley and to the very gates of Ekron. The Philistine corpses lay fallen along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from their hot pursuit of the Philistines, they looted their camp. I think the reason they looted their camp is the Philistines were the first ones to, to, uh, to uh, I'm going to get this word here, to perfect the forging process. They had iron weapons. The Israelites didn't, so I'm sure that was part of the reason for the looting. David took the head of the Philistine, brought it into Jerusalem. I think he pickled his head, that's what I think. And he put Goliath's weapons in his tent. Now as Saul watched David going out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the general in command of the army, whose son is this young man, Abner? Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this boy is. So when David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. He still had the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David replied, I am the son of your servant Jesse in Bethlehem. And the very last word of this great chapter of the Bible reminds us that one much greater than David one day is going to be born in Bethlehem. And the whole reason why David had the strength and the courage and the faith and the wherewithal to face this giant and strike it down was because of the one much greater than David that was born in Bethlehem. You and I have a personal relationship with him. His name is Jesus. And if we have Jesus in our life, let's remember that the battles that he calls us to are his. We don't need to stand in awe of anyone or anything if we continue to stand in awe of him. Thank you for being patient, letting me run over a few minutes. Next week, chapters eight, chapter 18, as we continue our study of the life of David. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the encouragement that this young man, not even 20 years old, was willing to stand when no one else was willing to stand against the giant Goliath. 
And he stood there, God, because of his own personal walk with you. The many days and nights that he spent with you out there in the fields watching those few sheep was what prepared him for that day, that conflict, that season. And then, Lord, we know that this was what you were going to use in David's life to magnify him before the people of Israel. That before this day, very few people knew of David, the son of Jesse, in Israel. But after this day, no one would ever forget the name David, the son of Jesse, ever again in the nation of Israel. God, thank you for working through us. Thank you for encouraging us that... It's just common people like David. David wasn't anything special. In fact, he was the youngest in his family, very insignificant and unimportant to his family. And yet, Lord, you show us even here in this chapter that you work tremendously and powerfully through just common people like David and like us. So, Lord, help us to have the faith that you can work mightily and powerfully through us as well. Help us to have the faith to strike down our giants, these obstacles, these challenges, these trials in our way. Help us to realize, Lord, that nothing is greater than you. And if we go out in your power and strength, Lord, they will fall. God, thank you for that. And may even this week we begin to see greater progress in our own walk with you. God, thank you again for this great turnout tonight. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Continue to grow us, Lord, so that we may magnify you in this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, God bless you. Thank you for being here. See you next week.